so for you who want to follow, I, I apologize to you note takers because it's not going to be a normal service. Uh, and I may bounce around a little bit. But if you're wanting to follow Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, it's kind of the theme, if you will, for today. I'll give you guys a moment to get there. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And as you guys are turning there, I just, I just felt like it was so important to say, and I think most of you sense this. You see what's going on. You see a, a shift, uh, perhaps, in, in, in our focus, in our direction, in our priorities. Uh, God is doing something in this church. And I think that many of you sense it. I think many of you who have been a part of this body for a while, you've, you've been a part of regularly uh, the annual fasting that, you know, that we've taken part of, the leadership conferences that we've been going to, uh, and, and you just know uh, and you sense that there's an urgency in our hearts for the gospel to go out. Uh, and that urgency is both for here in Prineville, Oregon, for this church, that, that the gospel would penetrate our hearts, that we would understand uh, the message that God has, and that we would take that out from here, and that we would go. And we would go to this community, and we would go around the world. And boy, I'm really going to have to speed it up to make this short. So um, <clears throat> let's read. It says, And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So there's two things that we're going to draw out here, uh, and, and we're going to come back to this idea of he's returning for those who are eagerly waiting for him. But the other thing that we see in here is, is we see that he will appear and, and even before that, we see that it's appointed for a man to die once. But if it's only appointed for us to die once, that also means it's only appointed for us to live once. We're given one shot at this life. We'll come back to that as well. But as we're talking about that, we're, we talk about the, the Christ says he's going to appear a second time. And, and so for you who are, who are taking notes uh, my first point is simply this. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And because we see the disciples, we see a precedent set before us, they believed that he was returning soon. And so I'm going to give you today just a quick uh, list of evidences of why I believe the Lord is coming back soon. Evidences for the soon return of Jesus Christ. The first and, and probably the one that, that, that's the most important is, is Bible prophecy. It says, uh, you know, that we can see that, that Jesus said these things will happen and then we see them happen. And we saw the prophets and they spoke and they said these things will happen and they announced it. Even, even just the coming of Christ the first time around. And we see it happen to the day. We see things happen and prophecy is a great measure for us to, to build our faith. And I want you guys to understand that in the last hundred years or so, maybe, maybe even if you wanted to stretch that out a little bit further, but certainly now in this age that we're living, we're living in a time of compressed prophecy. Things are, are happening at a much faster pace. I think many of you who look around at our, at our culture and you just see the culture shifts that have happened in short amounts of time. Uh, I read an article that, that recently stated that, you know, the shift in, in, in some of our cultural views that has happened is so uh, important. Those, those shifts are happening in, in less than five years. 
That's unheard of. They were, in fact, they were talking about how that social shift has taken place and, and how much things are happening more quickly. Number two, I, I think we would all be able to look at and, say, and see that there's a flood of moral uh, filth and godlessness. And, and you know, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and I'll just read it briefly, you don't have to turn there. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, uh, lovers of money, proud, dif- uh, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, and without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. It's a pretty powerful statement from Paul to Timothy, but, but we look and we see we could see that happening within our own culture. We could see that, that, that as we move forward in time, that things are changing very rapidly. Uh, we can look at Israel, of course. Israel's a great marker. Jesus says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. He says, you're going to be able to know the times and the seasons for what's happening. And, and I just draw your point to the last hundred years, uh, we've seen Israel come back into being after being scattered uh, all across the world. And, and since that time, uh, nations have tried to push Israel off the face of the earth, and God has protected Israel. And we don't see anything different today. We see the peace in the Middle East is very difficult because it's, uh, Israel is living amongst a group of people and a, and a group of nations that, that really desire that, that it would not even be in existence. And so we see Israel. We, we can look at that and we can see the return of Christ is coming soon. Uh, the gospel of the kingdom we see in Matthew 24 will be preached as a testimony to all nations. In 1910... Two-thirds of the world's Christian population was in Europe. I don't know how many of you guys knew that. Two-thirds of the world's Christian population was in Europe in 1910. In 2010, 100 years later, 25% is in Europe. 36% in the Americas. 24% in sub-Saharan Africa. 13% in Asia Pacific and less than 1% in the Middle East and North Africa, but we have seen the explosion of the gospel in the 20th century. God is moving. 10,000 people a day come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in China. Those are, those are massive numbers when you, when you think about it. When you look at, at the scope and the breadth of, of the way that God is moving around the world, we sense that something is happening. We sense that we are, that we are living uh, in, in incredible times. And it's interesting because although the percentage of Christians by world population is still roughly the same, just the geographical distribution has shifted. This shouldn't really surprise us. Uh, As the Bible makes it clear through the words of Jesus that the path is narrow and difficult that leads to life. And there are a few who find it, while wide is the road to destruction, and those who find it are many. So it shouldn't surprise us that the percentages don't change, but the gospel is being preached to all the nations. And last but not least, and I'll just keep moving through here quickly, scoffers will come. Peter talks about that in 2 Peter 3. He says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and, and both I'm stirring you up by sincere mind, uh, a way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? 
For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And I'm actually going to cut it short there because of time. And last but not least, we see the Antichrist spirit that is, that is over the face of the earth. If you look at the Middle East, uh, I just read an article yesterday. It was of great concern to me to see that our brothers and sisters in Iraq are, are being threatened by ISIS uh, who is bragging about the number of Christians they just killed in Syria, and they're in Mosul, and they said, uh, they basically gave the Christians an ultimatum. They said, convert, pay a fine, or die. And really what they're saying is convert or die, just like they were in Syria. So we see what's happening in the Middle East. And here at home and, and around the world, and I was talking with my grandmother who's in Brazil, she says we see the same problems going on here, but we see the rise of atheism. You guys have maybe heard or read articles about the rise of the nuns, about the number of people that say, well, I just don't believe anything. I don't know what to believe anymore, so I just believe in nothing. And, and, and currently, all the news events around the world on religion, I don't need to go into that. But you guys have been a part of watching that unfold. Uh, and, uh, and even uh, last night, I just read a, uh, an article that says, uh, there will be no exemption for religious organizations uh, in, in the executive order that went out for uh, for, uh, for religious organizations regarding uh, the hiring and staffing of uh, LGBT members of society. No exemptions for religious organizations. No exemptions uh, for Christian colleges for those who would desire to uh, perhaps take federal funds. And we just see a shift happening. And, and I don't want to alarm you guys. This isn't meant to alarm you. But I was listening to, to a David Platt sermon the other day, and he said, this is good stuff to be alarmed about. We should be aware. We should understand. Not because we should be afraid, but we should understand. You know, it's easy to have a couple different responses to this. Uh, first of all, uh, and, and the one I fear the most is apathy. It's very easy for us to, to hear these things, and they become so common, and they, and they become with such frequency that we, uh, that we begin to just tune them out. Uh, the second is, is, of course, we can, we can, we can have fear. We can, we can hide and say, well, I'm going to remove myself from all of this. I'm going to retreat. I'm going to run. I'm going to take my family away. We're just going to go. We're going we're gonna to withdraw from the world. Uh, and, and last but not least, uh, we, can, we can look at it as opportunity. We can see that God has, has placed us where we are. We don't have to be of the world, but we are in the world. And so we can look at that and we can say, God has not returned. There must be a reason why he has not returned. And, and so we should be about his business. And so I want to give you guys a few practical things as we just cruise right along here. Uh, you guys have to realize that God has given us an amazing uh, weapon in these last days. In, in Matthew 24, 36 through 50, I'm just going to read it real quick. It says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as in the, were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days they, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And I'm just going to skip down. It says, Who, therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give him their food at the proper time? 
Blessed is the servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So if we just pause there for a moment, we see that God has given us something. He's given us a tool. And even going back to our verse in Hebrews, he says he's returning for a church that is eagerly awaiting him. And so here he's talking about a watchful church. And so as I was praying and I was studying and I said, Lord, what do you want me to talk to my family about? He said, tell them to keep watch. To keep watch. And so we see here that there's this powerful spiritual principle that if our eyes are fixed on the return of Jesus, it gives us focus. It, it gives us something that, that we need because it's so easy for us to fall into the temptation of, of being carnal, of being a part of the world, of seeing what's going on and, and being unconcerned in that apathy to set in. In fact, he goes on to say, and I want you to notice this because the wording is very important. He says, but if that wicked servant, so he's talking about the same servant. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a great warning to us. Not, not because we should live in fear, but because he's giving us a principle to follow. He says if we become uh, of that mindset that the Lord is delayed, it, it is very easy for us to, to lose sight of the vision and the mission that he's called us to do as a church, as a body of believers. And so we see this. We see this where the master is delayed, and so this servant begins to beat the other servants, and we see him become carnal and worldly, and he begins to participate in the world, and, and he loses sight of the master's coming. And the master comes, and he does not find the servant being faithful with what he's asked him and tasked him to do. And so our, our call as a church would be that we would be about the master's work, that we would be about building the kingdom of God. And so as you guys uh, see this, this call, that we're putting out there as you see uh, this desire for us to take the gospel uh, and, and to apply it here, but also to take it outside and to go to this community and to go to the ends of the earth, that is just being obedient. It's obedience to what God has, has called us to do as faithful and wise stewards. So, how do we do this? How do we, how do we keep this this focus. The first thing I wanted to point out, and, and we'll just make these last few points quick, but uh, my alarm went off as you, in case you didn't hear the buzzing. First one is to seek the Lord. And, and I think you guys have, have, have been here long enough to know that that is the heart of your leadership. It's the heart of your elders. We, we gather together. Many of you guys have participated in the, in the annual times of fasting and prayer, and it's a powerful time. We seek the Lord together. We, we, we are diligent. We are, we are looking eagerly and with diligence to the word of God to give us our direction. And so in knowing that, we need to know the word of God. We need to, we need to know what it says. And, and how do we do that? Well, we do that by, by studying it, by reading it, by learning, by, by being together in discipleship with one another. 
And, and not only do we need to know what it says, but we need to believe that it is true. Because when we come to the point that we believe that it is true, it will affect our lives. That's, that's, there, there, there's no other way to put it. It's, it's that simple that when we come to a point where we believe that it's true, it will affect our lives. It must affect us. Because if the word of God is true, then it has great implications for living. It has great implications for how we live our lives, what we do with our time, what we do with our resources, what we, we do with the things that God has given us. And, and, and not that we are, are not given uh, you know, opportunities to, to enjoy this wonderful creation. Of course, we're given that. But the mission of God that he's given us and, he, and he's formed us, and, and it would make sense. We live in a very prosperous time. We live in a very prosperous country. Perhaps one of the most prosperous countries that's ever lived on the face of the earth. And God is calling us for this time and this purpose, for what he's doing in the world. If this last hundred years is a picture of God moving and preparing the world for his return, then it would make sense that we are a part of it. Even if we're not on the ground, there are many who are going to Nepal, but there are many who are here. And you're just as important to what is going on. Not everybody is called to go. Not everybody is called to be boots on the ground, so to speak. But everybody is called to participate. Everybody is called to be a part in prayer, in giving, in supporting the mission of God as, as, as we would follow him in obedience and, and in faith to what we feel and believe he's calling us to do and what his word tells us that we are to be doing. I put in here, uh, insert a personal story regarding preaching the gospel, but we don't have time for that. Um, <clears throat> Next, we're going to gather together. And, and in Hebrews 10, 25, that's what I was saying, Rory, don't steal my thunder. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir one, and up, uh, one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. It's not. You cannot look at the, at the, at the Bible and at the, at the life of Jesus and the disciples and the call that he has and say, it's okay for me to live this out in my own way, in my, in my, in my own time, in my own device, just me and, me and Jesus. No, it's not that way. We're called to be a part of a community. And I want you guys to understand that, that you are needed and, and your gifts are needed. So, so when you're not a part of the body, when you're not here, there, there's a piece that's missing. We're all responsible for one another and we all need one another. And so with that, I, I just wanted to echo Rory's call to Wednesday nights. It's been a powerful time. We prayed for North Korea this last week. It was, it was great. It was amazing. And I look out here and I see a, a body of believers gathering on a Sunday. And I say, wow, uh, this is the same body of believers that I would love to see gathering on Wednesdays. We don't look at it as elective. We look at this as one of the core things that our church is doing. As we are about the mission of God, as we are about seeking the heart of God, we would call and we would ask you guys to participate and to be a part of that. And finally, we need to live generously. And I told Rory today, <laughs> I said, this one just kind of got inserted at the last minute. It's not necessarily, it is a call to all of us. But as I was praying last night and I was preparing, I just couldn't sleep. It was one o'clock, it was two o'clock, it was three o'clock. And I just felt the Lord speak to me and say, you need, to, you need to say this. Somebody here needs to hear this today. 
And so I, in obedience to the Lord, I, I added this in here. And, and I would just read the, the, the parable real briefly. If you find it in Luke 12, 13 to 21, you can write that down if you want to read it later. So it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of the rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I know many of us would say, that's a great problem to have, right? But he says, and I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And as I read that, and, and, I, and I, my mind immediately went uh, to the passage in Luke, I believe it's chapter 14, I could be wrong on that, but he talks about, he's just talking about the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. And, and, and he's, uh, we see this in scripture, we see Jesus not, not wanting to just call uh, people blindly to follow him. He says, count the cost of, of following me. And as he gets to this long uh, uh, section of scripture where he's, where he's talking about what, the difficulty of, of following Jesus, he says this. He says, in order to be my disciple, you must renounce all that you have. And that's a difficult one for us. That's a difficult one for us. And he's not just talking about your money. He's talking about everything. He's talking about everything. Uh, he's talking about your job. He's talking about your family. He's talking about your home. He's talking about uh, your, your sense of, uh, of security. He's talking about it all. He's saying, you've got to lay all of this down if you really, truly want to be my disciple. And you know, that's been a tough one uh, for me. Uh, I have a, a family. I have four beautiful daughters. Many of you saw the Facebook announcement. We're expecting a, a son. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Four girls and a boy. So, uh, <clears throat> but that's precious to me. That family is, is, is on this earth one of the most precious things that, that I possess, if, if you wanted to use that word. But uh, of the things that are the most dear to me uh, is that family. And yet God says, you need to even trust me with that. that. That my mission, what I have for you, I may call you somewhere. Where, I, where your, your safety isn't guaranteed. The safety of your children isn't guaranteed. And you know what? If we haven't gotten to this place where we can renounce all things, then it's going to be very difficult for us to be able to make that kind of a choice. You know, many of us grew up, uh, you know, in the era of some of the greatest prosperity that, that this world has ever seen. And yet we've also watched it evaporate very quickly. And there's a tendency to want to hold on to what's left. There's a tendency to, to want to put our faith and our trust into things of this world. And, and, and hear me, I'm not saying do not be wise with what God has given you. I'm not saying do not be wise with what, he's, what he has given you and what he's called you to do in preparing uh, for, for the future. But if God says, I want you to liquidate this and follow me. I want you to, to liquidate this for the building of my kingdom. 
If you haven't renounced that thing, it's going to be very difficult for you to do. So as we close, I just want to reiterate to you guys, my family, that God is doing something in this church. And we need to build upon those things and not rely upon the past. We look at the fast each year and what do we see? We see that as we set everything aside, as we seek the Lord with everything and we, and we put aside everything else in our lives and we put it on hold for that week and we, and we, uh, and we give up food, not for the sake of, of anything, any religious obligation, but we do it for the purpose of seeking the Lord. We've just watched him bless this church. We've watched him bless this body. Many of you have, have benefited greatly from that in your lives, spiritually especially. This isn't complicated. When we seek the Lord, he finds us and he meets us there. You know, grace is a wonderful thing. And I just wanted to address this today, this theology of grace. Because I think sometimes we do exactly what Paul told us not to do. We use it as a license to live our life the way that we want to do. And we say, oh, thank you, Lord, for blessing me so much. Thank you, God, for your grace. But in Titus 2, I just want you guys to, to see this with me. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But notice he says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled upright, godly lives in this present age, not just the one to come, in this one now, waiting for our blessed hope. And I would insert in there eagerly waiting and watching for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Not just who perform good works, who are zealous for good works. I think it's a tragedy that at times in the church we've, we've made a, such a distinction between grace and works as if somehow it's either or. The Bible says that when we experience the grace, if grace is at work in us, if we see this in Titus chapter 2, then it is going to outflow uh, from us and train us in, in godliness and in holiness. Grace leads us not just to justification, but to sanctification. I hope you guys will see that. And you know elsewhere, we've preached it before, that God has prepared good works for us to do, every one of us. Every single person that's in this room, God has prepared good works for you to do. And a, and a proper understanding and theology of grace will lead you to be zealous for those good works. Understand there's nothing that, you, that is gained by those works. Your salvation is not found in those works, but they will be an outflow of the grace at work in you. And you know, the interesting thing, I saw somebody, and Facebook is not where I recommend you find your theology, uh, but I saw a friend post this and they said, my right living is evidence that I am righteous. And they weren't, uh, they weren't taking that in a way to mean, look at me and how righteous I am. What they were saying is that, that my, the way that my, I live my life, the way that Christ lives and works through me is evidence that he is the Lord of my life. And I would, I would just submit to each of you 
that you would look to make God the Lord of your life. We cannot live from fast to fast as our primary encounter with the Holy Spirit. I just really felt that this morning as I was praying. The Lord just laid that on my heart, that we need to seek the Lord constantly, diligently, daily. And again, it's not rocket science. You guys have seen the Lord move in your life in these moments where we set aside this time and set aside ourselves for, for seeking the Lord. He's so faithful. We watched him do amazing, incredible things. Uh, and, and the next thing, of course, is just goes right along with being watchful is that we fix our eyes squarely upon Jesus daily with diligence. I would encourage you, if you don't do this, to wake up. Start thinking from the moment that you get up in the morning, is this the day that my Savior is going to return? And let that begin to guide your life. Next, we need to be about the kingdom of God and, <clears throat> and his vision. And that will flow out from having a picture of God constantly before us and the mission that he has. If we have our eyes squarely fixed on Jesus, if we are seeking him, then of course we're going to be about building his kingdom. And last but not least, we have to throw off the blinders and realize that we're already living in eternity. You guys realize that? We're already living in eternity. I'm not saying that Jesus hasn't come, obviously. There's some theology out there that would say that. But, but we're living in eternity. And we need that perspective. We need it printed on our eyes, I think, as Kevin said one time. Lord, print that on our eyes. That we, everything that we look out from, would, we would see through the eyes of eternity. Because we're already living, and, and, our, and every single person on this earth is already living in eternity. And for some, it's not good. But what we do with this time between now and, and either our death or the time that Christ returns affects that eternity. And that kind of comes back to that original point. You've got one life. It's appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. That means we've got one chance to live. And if I could just encourage you guys this morning, this is not meant to be any way discouraging. It's meant to be encouraging. We get every single day an opportunity, a choice. Are we going to believe these things? Are we going to take a look at the word of God and let it so transform and internalize that and have it begin to transform and change your life? And I wasn't planning to do this, but as I close, I just wanted to give you guys an example from my own uh, experience. Uh, about five years ago, the Lord began to awaken me. He had given me, I won't go into the details, but he had given me a, a vision in college, if you will, or an experience. Um, and, he, and, he, and he just uh, raised in my heart uh, an urgency. And as I recalled that experience, he began to work in me. And it wasn't particularly, uh, it was coming out of a time where I wasn't particularly following the Lord, but certainly wasn't particularly concerned with his return or, or thinking about his purpose in this life. But as I began to read the word, and it came off of one of the fasts that we had done here, the Lord did some amazing things, uh, just taking some sin in my life that had been there for a long time, uh, and I just couldn't seem to conquer it, and he just removed it from me. And as he did that, I began to develop a hunger for the word of God. Because when we see the word of God, I, it's funny, I hold up my iPad instead of a Bible, but when we see and hunger for the word of God, it is, it is like bread. You know, Jesus talks about that, that he is the bread of life, and, and everyone that comes to him won't hunger, and, and everyone who drinks from him won't thirst. So if we believe that, 
And then, then we go to his words and we say, what does this tell me? And if we believe that this is true, then we believe that this is life. And I began to believe that. And it started out as just a thought. Because my life, I, I didn't like to read. I didn't like uh, to read anything, let alone the Bible, which I thought maybe was difficult. But as the Lord burned in my heart, these are my words. And these are true. I said, well, if that's true, then these are life. And as I began to consume the word of God, and as I began to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to change my life and change my heart, then, then that became more and more real. It's funny how God works. We seek him, and he finds us, and he responds to us. There's no mystery in that. And so as I began to believe that this was true, then the Lord began to burn a passion and a fire for, for reading his word. And, and it was transformational, and it changed my life. And so as that happened, then all of a sudden, I began to think, well, if this is true, then the most important thing that I could be doing would be telling other people that this is true. Right? Amen? So, as I began, and, and I want you to believe, understand, that, thought, that began as a thought. I wanted my heart to be there, but it, it wasn't there yet. But the Lord was doing that work. And there was a thought, and it said, if this is true, then that is true. And so I began to pray, and I began to seek the Lord. And as I began to do that, he began to change my heart. And so that's how I can say, and I can stand up here, and I can tell you that I'm excited to speak, because I'm excited for every opportunity that I have to preach the gospel. And I want every single one of you to know that the same opportunity is available for you. Jesus yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit is no respecter of persons. Every, every person he desires. Jesus desires that all would come to repentance. It says that in Second in Peter as, as he talks about, well, the Lord, you know, those that were scoffing and saying the Lord is delayed. And he says, don't you understand? It's, it's the Lord's desire. He has so much patience and so much love. And he desires that all would come to repentance. And so we are given a job. Again, if we believe that this is true, then that gives us a responsibility. And so as you, as you guys see what's going on in the church, as you see the elders making a call uh, for us to be about building the kingdom, it's just my desire that you guys would, uh, would see that and that you would participate, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to begin to change you the same way that he changed me, the same way uh, that he changes all men who earnestly seek him and desire uh, to follow him. So with that, I'm going to, to close and wrap it up. Man, the kids did amazingly well today. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. But uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to close. And before we, um, before we call it good and everybody uh, leaves here, I also just want to make a, a call uh, to you guys. that uh, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything right now. But I just want to say that, that myself, uh, Rory, we're going to be here uh, for a few minutes after the service. And I would just encourage you, if you have any burden on your heart. Maybe you came here and you're sick and you just want the elders to lay hands on you and pray for you. Uh, it would be a tragedy for us to walk in here and, and, to, and to have the, you know, the truth of God's word uh, here tell us to pray for one another. It would be a tragedy if we come in and we're, and we're given the truth of the word of God and we, and we walk out and we're not changed and we're not the same. Maybe there's something the Lord's laying on your heart and you just want us to pray with you about it. Uh, just want to make that an open invitation after the service. We'll be hanging around for a few minutes. We'd love you guys to, uh, to be a part of that. But in the sake of time and family service, we're going we're gonna to close it. I'm going to close it in prayer. And uh, let's just uh, seek the Lord together.
Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, for this family who, uh, Lord, it is so real and so true to me how uh, I look at them like family, not, not just uh, friends, Lord, not just uh, members in the congregation, but Lord, this is family uh, to me. And Lord, you're so good that you, that you have given us the church, that you've given us one another, and that, uh, Lord, I'm so privileged to belong to this incredible group of believers. And Lord, I'm, I'm privileged to belong to uh, your church. And Lord, the things that you are doing in this body. Uh, and Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would be here today. And we know that you are, but that you would be convicting hearts. Lord, we see that the believers in Acts 4 continually were filled with the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we ask that you would continue to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Because we need that, Lord, for these things to be true in our life. We need that for your word to penetrate our hearts and for us to be able to, to change our way of thinking, Lord. For us to, to have our minds renewed and transformed. So God, we ask for that. Father, I just thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your vision that you are guiding and directing this church to boldly go out into this world. And Lord, we don't know where that's going to lead us, but we're going to follow and we're going to trust you. We're going to have faith. Lord, I just pray for every person here. And Lord, I pray that if there would even be somebody here today who doesn't know you or who is just out of relationship with you, that Lord, today you've given each one of us an opportunity, a chance, Lord. Today can be the day where that changes forever. And every one of us, I, I just look at my own life. God, there was a point in time that came where everything changed forever. And God, that is available to each of us. And so, Lord, if there are some here who have not experienced that or, or they're, they're saved and they're Christians, but they're just not awake and they're asleep, God, I prayed you would wake us up. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.